Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast, the podcast that aspires to support and inspire people to move, exercise and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. The podcast where we share the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We know that many people are scared to stay active during cancer treatment. We know that for some, cancer can take away the hope that comes from dreaming of a future. And we know many people diagnosed with cancer feel isolated and lonely. We hope that by sharing the stories of others finding their way through cancer, the Move Against Cancer podcast will provide hope, support and a sense of empowerment to anyone living with and beyond cancer. Welcome to episode two of the Move Against Cancer podcast. My name is Lucy Gossage. Um, I'm an oncologist. I'm a bit of a sports nut. And along with Gemma Hilly Moses, I co-founded 5K Your Way Move Against Cancer in 2018. Thank you so much for the amazing feedback to the first episode um, of this podcast with Tracy Crouch. Um, we're not going to pretend that we're not at least a little bit nervous about putting together a podcast. Um, and so the feedback we get really does make a difference. Um, we want honest feedback, good and bad. Uh, we want to make it as good as possible. So please do uh, comment and share and thank you. Now, this week, I'm joined by the amazing Deborah James, who's known to many as Bow Babe. So Deborah is a broadcaster, a writer, a campaigner, a former deputy head teacher, a mum, a co-presenter of the simply brilliant You, Me and the Big C podcast. Um, and I really recommend that all of you listen to that. She's a runner and she's got stage four bowel cancer. I'm a huge fan of Deb's, particularly the way in which she epitomises living life, saying yes to opportunities and breaking down stereotypes. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to her today. Okay, Deborah James, um, thank you very much for joining us. So we've already been talking about half an hour. <laughs> I know, I'm really sorry about a million different things as per usual with me. <laughs> um, so it's quite odd to be on the other side of the table um, because you've interviewed me a couple of times for your amazing Yumi Big, Big C podcast. Um, I remember back in 2018, I was in the car driving up to Sheffield and I heard the teaser for the You Me Big C podcast. And I was immediately like, oh, my God, this is so what what the cancer world needs. Um, I look back at it. Do you know what the first words that you said on that post on that um, on that podcast were? Oh, no. Go on. Do you know them? I look them up. I have the poo cancer. <laughs> <laughs> cancer um <laughs> it was either going to be something about poo or a swear word that was really <laughs> out, so. maybe it was a swear word but they edited it out <laughs> who knows brilliant. I love that. Um, <laughs> but yeah so that was that was three years ago and you and Rachel and Lauren um started this trail basically breaking down was completely smashing down the stereotypes that so many people still have about cancer um and now I don't know if I can call but you are almost a cancer celebrity if I can say that <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> but you are you are household names and my neighbors at Christmas we were having drinks illegal drinks probably on the the um on the pavement and they said have you heard about this person um Deborah someone she's got bowel cancer and you've been on BBC breakfast so everyone knows about you um, I love that. Get people talking about poo. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean, how how is how do you do it? How how do you live your life? Like the highs, and there's a huge number of highs in your life, but there's also some lows, massive lows. Yeah. How how do you do that in the public eye? Um so that was never my intention I think um I'm more I've always been a bit of an extrovert like I think most teachers are actually I was a secondary teacher yeah and I think a lot of teachers are by well a just natural kind of like they don't mind getting up in front of an audience and not performing but like certainly kind of trying trying to engage an audience um and for me my whole kind of um world was tipped upside down I was a career teacher that's what I wanted to do I was about to take on a headship 
And um, then I got blindsided. I got blindsided at the age of 35 um, with incurable bowel cancer. So I literally didn't think that I would make it through the first year. And statistically, actually, we know that sadly in bowel cancer when it's caught late actually not many people do and that's you know that shouldn't happen and that's probably why I do talk about it and I started um because people always say how do you start campaigning or how do you Mm. start sharing your story and I get um loads of messages every day saying I want to raise awareness or I want to share my story what do I do and I just tell people to start sharing it but sharing it with uh, what I did which was my friends and my family and that's what, how my I so saw it started as a blog actually and for me it was the easiest way to communicate what was going on in my cancer life because I think when you get a diagnosis of cancer people kind of ask you about a million questions like what's next and mm-hmm. you know this sitting as an oncologist on the opposite side of the fence that you know appointments are 10-15 minutes and then your friends and family um want an hour dialogue and dissection of that 10 or 15 minute appointment where for at least eight and a half minutes of it you were probably numb because of what was told in the first minute and it just it, it becomes absolutely um soulless is the wrong word but like exhausting like mentally exhausting and that's not because you don't appreciate people caring about like what you're going through you do definitely want the help it's just that there's only so many times you can try and reiterate like you don't really know what the plan is beyond kind of one step at a time and this is what we're going to be doing tomorrow um and sometimes unless people's people have experienced that they don't really know so my I started the the blog essentially to inform my family and friends and then it went a little bit wider to my teaching community first and foremost so it went out to some of the parents of the kids that I used to teach and the reason for that was because again being part of a community they were really interested so my best advice to anybody is start on your own doorstep in terms of campaigning raising awareness and just sharing your story because actually that's where it should trickle from and then I I didn't really ever appreciate that it would kind of lead to where it has done. Um, but I think when I got cancer, I think the teacher in me never really went went away. And I realised actually just how in the dark about everything I was. And therefore, if I was in the dark, loads of other people must be in the dark about it. And how much education is needed from a kind of um, prevention perspective, as well as a just living with cancer perspective, um, so that's kind of how it all began. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't really think about it, actually, to be honest with you, until until my uh, my uh, son goes, I saw you on the front page of the Daily Mail or I, I'm, I'm out running. So really quite often, and I love this, actually, um, is I'll be out running and um, I'm not public, but everybody knows I live in southwest London and I do the river run. So I basically yeah. run. I do the, like the uh, uh, basically Hammersmith Bridge, Putney Bridge route. Um, I go kind of three or four times a week. And I love it when somebody kind of like waves at me as I'm like plodding or they're sprinting past or whatever it is. Um, and that's really nice. Or sometimes people won't stop me, but they'll say, oh, I saw you out running, but I didn't want to stop you and say hi. And that's really nice, actually. <laughs> so I um. I mean, I remember when I when I listened to started listening to the podcast, I lit you up on Instagram, and one of the first videos I saw. Um, I mean, your social media is, is very honest, and there are bits that are incredibly moving. But this was one of you breaking out of hospital to go to the pub. I think you just had a lung resection or something. <laughs> did you um, did you use social media before you were diagnosed with cancer, or was that no. something? No, no, never. So um, I was, my subject is computer science. Um, but I think, I think things have changed quite a lot. But um, being in the teaching world, there was always a kind of quite clear message in terms of keeping your personal life quite locked down. So I never really kind of shared anything. In fact, in fact, everything was under lock and key. And I very rarely posted anything. And I didn't even have an Instagram account when I got cancer. So it was very much a kind of like one of my best friends sat me down over um, a glass of wine, well, a bottle actually, and basically taught me how to use Instagram. And now we find it really funny that I teach her how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it for me it was literally it was it was a kind of um it was a bit of a no-brainer in that it was just a tool that I thought hang on I can I can I can connect with people as well because I wanted to find people like me um and I I did find some but very few and far between because I realized um that there were people sharing their stories on different platforms maybe on YouTube for example um but I wanted the interaction I wanted the kind of like you know, I wanted to be able to message somebody and say, is this normal? Um, who, no offense, but wasn't my doctor. Um, yeah. You know, you just want, you want the inside information, don't you? Um, and you want to know that somebody else is experiencing it exactly in the same way that you are. Um, and I, there wasn't, I did, I also didn't want to go onto the forums because I find those faceless forums um, are great for some people, but for me, um, I want to connect with somebody in a different way. Um, and that's kind of how it started for me. And I, I guess, um, you know, one of the things that I think you do so well is you, I, I had a patient um, this week, actually, who needs to start some, he's a young guy and he needs to start some chemo for testicular cancer. And he described his picture of what he thought the chemo would be like. And it was so different. Um, and one of the things that you do so well, so, so well, is you, you, you break down that stereotype of what a cancer patient in inverted commas should look like. You know, the, the, on, the, on the news and the, and the telly, they, it, it, it's so different to Deborah James, who's out running, being an idiot in a poo costume. Um, <laughs> when you were... <laughs> when you were done... And that's not funny enough. Like, everybody's like, well, are you just like that because of cancer? And, but the only people that ever asked me that question didn't know me before cancer. Like, so <laughs> anybody that's ever worked with me in teaching or anybody that, well, my friends or family are just like... Uh, I, one of my best friends was asked, actually, on an interview the other day, you know, has Deborah changed? And she, it was literally a, like a one-word answer, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> was really nice because you know it's not like I probably was a little bit mad before cancer to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> well we like mad I think we're all at 5k your way we're definitely all a bit mad um yeah. when it but when you when you were diagnosed did you have a picture in your mind of what living with cancer would look like yeah and was it very different to what your life is like or yeah, or is it actually 100%. the same no total opposite so in terms of um it's really funny actually because now we're in in COVID um I imagined um because I was so scared of what chemo might do to my immune system and yes obviously it affects the immune system but I didn't quite realize you could you can actually function like nine times out of ten pretty normally you are you can you know unless you are on very high risk drugs you can actually go into a supermarket in normal times yeah yeah and I know this sounds really silly but I I genuinely thought I genuinely thought and I sound really silly saying this but I think other people's perceptions may have been the same I thought I would go into a cave um I I essentially thought I would go into what we are all experiencing now in lockdown Mm for six months um, and emerge as a bit of a disheveled moth, not really a butterfly. Um, And I I thought, right, I'm not gonna see anyone. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, And I I thought that, I thought I'd lose my hair. Um, I didn't, I just lost the feeling in my hands and feet instead. Um, I, every single thing that I thought about chemo was wrong actually. and that's what you guys did I mean for anyone who hasn't listened to the Me Big C podcast so I listened as a doctor and I referred so many of my patients to it um you 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 have gone through I mean I remember the one on chemo side effects and you did a huge thing about hair loss and I learned so much about you know putting conditioner on your hair if you're using the cold cap and things so you've gone I mean you've gone through so you know chemotherapy friends dating and intimacy you've talked about you've talked me talked about death you've done really hard topics as well um what do you think that the the biggest cancer preconceptions are that you've challenged through that well through what you do and through that podcast i think what cancer looks like not just physically but what it can physically do in terms of you can um I suppose it well, ties into this, the idea that you, for some of us like me, I have incurable cancer. I think it's the terminology that we use. And you you know this as a doctor, 
more people are coming into this gray area we we're at a point in cancer in the cancer world where more people will live with cancer than will die from it mm-hmm. um or live or and be cured or will then will die from it and as a result we're going to have more people i call i call myself the gray patient not because <laughs> i am gray but essentially we're like in a rocket as a spaceman we're not really sure what the future looks like but we're going to have to ride it and with that, it's very much this idea that we're living with cancer. Yes, I appreciate like there is a big challenge on my oncologist's hands, but <laughs> I'm here four years later. And, and you know, like with a BRAF metastatic bowel tumour, I really shouldn't be alive. Um, and the fact that I am like, I don't really know what's going to happen. Like, you know, a betting person will say that I'll probably die, but let's just hope I kind of can kick the can down the road. But essentially, as a result, it then has lots of challenges. So the biggest thing that we can like reveal, I suppose, behind the curtain is what are those challenges? Because more and more people are going to actually experiencing experience Mm -hmm. them as more and more people live with cancer. And that is very much like, how do you work and have chemo? How do you like have a love life and chemo? How do you cope with uh, the mental side effects? How do you like feel like an average 39 year old knowing that you might die tomorrow and it's like it's all those things that maybe we didn't have to think about and maybe oncologists didn't have to think about it 10 years ago because people literally fell into two baskets they Mm -hmm. lived or they died and things have changed so much now that you have people in the middle who will live and we want to live a really good quality of life and it's how can we make that happen I think you're I think you're so right and I think um I guess I haven't really thought about it in some way that the drugs have progressed quicker than holistic cancer services have and you know I remember treating melanoma so skin cancers as a registrar 10 years ago before well probably 13 years ago before I did all my triathlon stuff and if you had melanoma that had spread you you died in general within six months and now many people are perhaps cured living certainly long very normal lives other than turning up at the hospital for their for their treatment yeah and it's really it's really I've literally just written about this this week because um I've written about it in the context of getting scan results because it's really weird and I'm always asked the question like am I cancer free um no so am I on like what's the plan well the plan is kind of plow on (laughs) and it's, it's kind of like it's almost like it's like there's not news it's just there's always something but there always has been for four years so is this the beginning of the end I asked that question no so therefore like is there any news no so how do I even break that to my family because there's actually nothing to break does that make sense it's, mm. it's kind of like it's that um it's that understanding of just like what is being on a roller coaster of cancer and what I really want to learn how to do is just basically get busy living put my treatment on one day plow on deal with the side effects but the thing the thing that I think is the challenge is the fact that actually you know sorry is the fact that actually the more treatment we have um you know bodies get tired but ultimately it's actually how do we manage those side effects and um it's getting the right support in place and admitting that actually like right you might need some help mentally um I might need some help physically like um I and I know we're going to talk about this later I obviously exercise and it's a massive tool that I use um for my mental health and my physical health but sometimes I actually need my body strapped back together like I have a physio mm. who physically has strapped my body together um, because <laughs> the, and it's, it's things like you know actually four years on from a thoracotomy um obviously a lung resection um actually then doing the level of activity I do there are issues in terms of scar tissue and that hurts and it's kind of those things in terms of quality of life um need to be managed really that we don't and we don't know how to manage them I don't think because in not that long ago you wouldn't have been here four years down the line after thoracotomy. Thoric- I mean, you might not have even had a thoracotomy. And, I wouldn't um, have done. I was one of the first people that you would... I was the first generation, I say generation, uh, like 
with a few exceptions but with a bowel cancer as you probably know you would never yeah. have considered operating on lungs yeah um liver maybe but lungs was few and far between I think I was probably one of um the first generation within like say a three to five year window where we started to people people said yeah okay fine let's give it a go and I think now in the NHS there are late effects clinics are starting to come in and but but the people running them are very much learning and actually it's probably only patients who can really advise on that because you you know people who are going through it develop tips which I guess you can share through your community on social media but it, I mean it must be it must be a two-edged sword having friends with cancer and you know 5k your way obviously I've become really close friends with with some of the groups that some of the people that come in the Nottingham group and it it's so hard when you have friends it's very different when friends die to patients who die how do you how do you deal with that it's really hard and um, the thing that I have found um I would say the last year I've had quite um I think we've all had quite a wobble to be fair with COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I would say it's the thing that's been really hard for me is a lot of um this this is gonna sound I I don't mean to sound unhopeful because there's a lot of hope in the cancer world, but some of the statistics exist for a reason. And I would say a lot of my cohort, if that sounds really mm -hmm. weird thing to say, doesn't it? But a lot of my cohort who I met when I was first diagnosed with bowel cancer. Um, there's only a handful of us alive. Now, there is a reason, therefore, um, that those statistics are around. And I would say that's the hardest thing to know that I am one of the last people on my way to the five year mark. Um, and statistically, there was going to be 8% of us and there's a handful of us left. And I think that is really gut wrenching. Um, because none of us knew at the start who was going to be that dot, and there is none of us can predict that. Um, and I think it is really hard to do that. But but then but then in a weird way, um, because I have lost really good friends. Like because in in the cancer world, you kind of you create bonds like you do in in other aspects of your life. It's those milestones in your life, whether it's having given birth or starting a new school or starting a new job. You make friends for life, and having cancer, sadly or positively, is another one of those benchmarks. But in a way, um, it genuinely makes me realise how lucky I am to be alive, and therefore I just kind of when I'm throwing my toys out the pram about the fact that I've got to increase my dose of drugs, not even anywhere near to a full dose. I need to just almost like, you know, when you talk to yourself and you have to kind of give yourself a bit of a, like, just suck it up Deborah and get on with it. And in a way it's like, you know, when you, you know, when you, you're, you've had enough of your own like whining voice and you're like, <laughs> just get a grip, like get into that chemo chair do it um and that's kind of how i have to do it because it like otherwise i'm like well what's the what's your alternative you've said goodbye to your friends like that's the alternative it's like i give myself a talking to like a teacher oh it is i yeah no matter how many times you encounter cancer where you just can't imagine what it's like to actually go through it something um something i want to talk about a bit and you've kind of led me onto it is mindset so i um I'm intrigued by mindset and I've done I've done work when I was a traffic as a with a sports psychologist to kind of work on developing my mindset and actually I kind of poo-pooed it but it it made a huge difference to to my career particularly in the later stages um and I think when you were a teacher you did quite a lot of research on kind of growth mindset in kids yeah, um yeah. and you're now writing a book <laughs> Um, if, if I can find my mindset to knock them down to write the thing, it, well, to finish it actually, to to, to edit it, so I should say. Um, but well, yeah, the, no, um, I, am. I did. So I'm just going to read a. Um, so the book is How to Live When You Could Be Dead, um, yeah. and Deborah hasn't asked me to promote this, um, so it's purely because I'm fascinated by it. And and the excerpts that goes. So how do you flip your mind from a negative spiral into realistic hope? How do you stop focusing on the why and realize that? Why not me is just as valid a pathway. How we learn to respond to any given situation empowers us or destroys us. So I agree with all of that. It's really easy to read that out. Um, really, really powerful. Really easy. <laughs> but how do we do it is the challenge. How right? do you enact it? 
particularly when you're I mean we were talking just before we kind of recorded about your dilemma with increasing dose of drugs etc and quality of life and how yeah how do you use those words or how how do you do it yeah so it's so when I studied mindset I did did it obviously in a classroom capacity and it's really interesting because we found that um, exactly how you're reading out that statement we can kind of all either poo-poo it or we can go oh yeah that makes sense so you know you can have a growth mindset which is essentially believing that we can kind of mold and train our brains to achieve things uh, whatever it is that it looks like but what we found is actually when you then apply that and maybe it's the same when you've got cancer you can go yeah I can get through this the reality is that just because you know that having a growth mindset is a really good thing if you don't know how to apply and you don't have the tools then actually it has no impact whatsoever on your progress it has no impact on your mental health and it essentially is as good as just knowing that father christmas maybe doesn't exist (laughs) it kind of like (laughs) just it's just a bit silly so essentially it's breaking it down really to be honest with you it's breaking it down in terms of lots of different things so in the book specifically we're literally going to talk about right so like the biggest example for me is my toolbox which I think a lot of people especially in cancer world will hopefully relate to and it's it's almost understanding what do you have in your toolbox Um, that will lift you up and a lot of us won't recognize what we have in our toolboxes and what I mean by that is I am only learning over the years um, because people say oh how are you so resilient I'm like no I'm not like yesterday genuinely yesterday because um, anyone who will know who's on a cycle you have good days and you have bad Mm -hmm. days Um, it's it's, it's taken me four years to realize that and every time I have a bad day I still think that it's not just a bad day I think it's like game over and yesterday I was having like spiked temperature like skin reaction like I've had this every two weeks for four years and yet I still cry (laughs) like I still absolutely cry um and I literally have to almost look to my toolbox to say right what is it that I can use today to pick me up And the reality is that actually, um, for me, I know that exercise is one of them, but the the thing that I got really upset about is yesterday, um, because my joints were really hurting, I couldn't exercise. And then I suddenly felt really lost because I didn't know what to do with myself. Does that make sense? You know, when Mm -hmm. someone's whipped from beneath your feet. And so then, um, and this is really bad, but I'm just going to admit to it. In the evening, I was like, well, I'm just going to have wine. Like, that's a good tool. I can, I can just have it's wine. Not bad. <laughs> it's not a bad tool. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dismiss it, but you know, it's not a tool that we should always rely on. Like we should enjoy it rather than have it as a like lift, lift us up. And uh, that didn't work because obviously like it didn't feel very well anyway. So that wasn't going to work. And then what I actually realized is the tool that I needed was a really good night's sleep, but I didn't even recognize that that was a tool and some paracetamol actually, (laughs) to be honest with you, just some really, like somebody said to me, uh, like the drugs that you take, uh, and they're not good in your, uh, in your uh, store cupboard, like, or in your drawer, like that you need to take them for a reason to actually help you. And so I suddenly realized that I hadn't taken like certain things. So I was like, okay, maybe I just need to take it. Um, But in terms of, for me, in terms of like understanding what your tools are, but also recognizing that actually none of us will ever just have a growth mindset. We don't go through life saying, I've got a growth mindset. Everything's great. I can achieve anything you want. You've actually got to work at it. You've got to grow after that. You've got to have goals. You've got to celebrate those goals. You've got to kind of understand that you're going to fail. Um, And also recognize that in terms of our mind, like I look at my current situation and it's, a lot of people would say, oh, it's a bit rubbish. Um, but then a lot of people would say, well, no, you know, it's quite good. And it's really, um, it's understanding uh, the relative goodness in your situation. And also recognizing that actually there are some things you can control and there's some things you, you can't. Yeah. And really for me, mindset is, is almost recognizing that and understanding that actually there are some things that you can't control. I can't really control if I'm going to live or die, but I can control if I cry all the way to the end or not. Um, or I, at least I can control elements of it. 
Um, but with you, with them, with the sport, for example, um, the way that I use what I would say is mindset in, in exercise is very much for recovery from cancer operations or recovery from treatment. And I use it as a benchmark, as a goal setting benchmark. So um, for me, like after each operation, I will track how long it takes me to get back up to a 5k whether that's walking or eventually running and that's not to show off about it it's just because it's a goal and it allows me to uh, have a realistic goal that I'm going to achieve and aim for it and then achieve it and feel really good about that and then that in itself then makes me say okay I want to now try a 10k or something um, but how have you found with you with uh, your exercise how have you found kind of changing your mindset has helped you improve as an athlete oh I I mean for me uh, yeah a lot of it was about confidence and about belief um and self-talk but actually now I'm not an athlete the the self-talk bit is really things like starting this podcast for example that my reaction is no one will listen I'll be really bad at interviewing but I've developed self-talk tactics that I can use and also a kind of thing well actually what do we lose by trying it even if it helps one person then it's still useful um and it was really interesting one of the so before we did the podcast we we did some interviews over the summer on on Facebook one of them was with Siri Lindley who is a world champion triathlete and she had um acute myeloid leukemia um and then had stem cell transplant and high dose chemo um just last year so it was really literally rock bottom, taken to a to complete rock bottom, came out the blue. And she was talking really powerfully about the how her skill set, her psychological skill set that she developed as an athlete, as one of the best athletes in the world, and she's now a, a, a you know a world class coach, how that helped her recover, um, or helped her recovery and helped her go through that isolation. I think she was in isolation for four weeks. She could literally hardly get out of bed and and then building back up and it really really struck me that actually the skills that I've learned through sport are applicable to all walks of life and we don't so I don't know if you ever seen a psychologist because we don't we don't offer offer mindset or psychological strategies to people when they're diagnosed but it could be no, so helpful it could be so so weirdly I used to see um I used to have CBT before I had cancer. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is the irony of my life. So I, um, I don't shy away from the fact that I've, I've had anxiety my whole life, um, mainly panic attacks. Um, uh, ironically, well, not ironically at all, like sadly about health anxiety. Yeah. So um, my, um, my anxiety was always kind of symptoms, assuming it was the worst. And then weirdly, when it was the worst, I just, like ran in the opposite direction away from them um and then when I've got cancer um I absolutely if I felt that I needed to see somebody I would I would and I would 100% recommend that people do for me I think I just um I think I just found different skills um that for me it seemed to work and I'm not gonna lie and say everything is like easy and I'm happy all the time like but what I'm what I recognize is I'm doing okay like and then when I when I'm not I find that I'm learning patterns about myself in terms of I seem to crash after things so I crash when things are really good rather than when things are kind of just plowing on so quite often um it hits me when I've got more to lose which I think is quite common with a lot of people um and I think it's just learning almost recognizing the cycle and just like I kind of it sounds this sounds really awful and I can't I shouldn't really say this out loud but I will um I I think I uh I know if I want to see somebody if I'm prepared to spend an hour of my life feeling like it's worth going for what it's going to give me back but at the moment I feel like I get more out of running for an hour Mm -hmm. than I do talking for it does that make sense yeah I mean I I love that so obviously move against cancer podcast (laughs) definitely gonna get I'm loving it (laughs) but are there just before we move on are there any 
resources that you've come across that could because you've got this tool set and you've developed your your cancer tool set but you have the skills to develop it a lot of people have never even thought about psychology is there is there anywhere they could go to to kind of find out a little bit more about it that's a really good question just in terms of like in terms of mindset skills in itself it, it really depends what people want to uh, achieve from it um but for me i find uh, a lot of the practical things are the most kind of um useful to people um so i uh, i do i think i do need to look up where we can cite a few kind of like actual do you want some like more um things like uh, mindfulness apps or are you more interested in like actual mindset practices because they're quite different things aren't they yeah so what that. I would like to do we're completely off topic now but I would like to develop and I and we did it I did it with a sports psychologist for triathlon um I would like to develop a, a video series for people with diagnosis helping them develop tool sets that can help them deal with the shit and deal with the good bits yeah. and deal with you know uncertainty yeah. um and develop some some mental strategies that help them but I don't, I don't know if there is anything that I don't, to be honest with you, I'm not sure maybe that's a thing to do because I don't think it exists mm. um probably what hence why I've written the book because for me I have recognized that probably from teaching and from the mindset stuff that I've learned I end up just doing like a lot of things. So for example, goal setting is huge in my life, um, but, but daily goal setting. And I didn't realize what that what I do is a tool to get me through the day. So if I'm having uh, like a scan day, or well, actually every single day, I if I'm having a really bad day, I plan my days down to the 15 minute slots. Um, and the reason for that, it and I include things like get dressed, <laughs> yeah. have breakfast. Do you write this down? Is this written yeah, down? It's a list like on my phone. I have lists and lists and lists, like daily lists of like um, basically what I want to achieve each day, each day. And I write it the day before. Um, and I, if I'm in a good like place, I don't write that many things down. It might be like four bullet points. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not in a good place in terms of I need a vehicle and a structure um I but I only recognize that I don't go oh, I'm in a bad place I need lots of lots of things I just like have recognized over the years that this is what I do um I will literally plan my day to eight o'clock do this uh, nine o'clock do this um and it's because when people are saying right how do I get through when I'm waiting for scan anxiety you mm -hmm. kind of say well you don't actually have to get through you just have to get to nine o'clock oh and when you get to nine o'clock oh well, why don't you get to 10 o'clock and it's breaking it down to achievable things and before you realize you've actually done it um and so it's kind of giving it's allowing yourself to achieve really it's allowing you it's just it's, it's, it's saying to yourself i can do this but then saying well i don't really know okay well let's do it bit by bit step by step day by day that's interesting i definitely think there is um there is a gap um in that and something oh, to think I about like <laughs> I'm not the person to do it. We need a need a good psychologist. Um, I was going to say because we, we need you need the you need the psychologist side. So I know I know the the practical side from a kind of um, like uh, right. What are you going to do to do you recognise this? What are you going to do to uh, set your goal? Goal. What are your tools? Um, okay. Do you understand the value in this X Y Z? Um, but from a psychologist perspective it's probably quite different again isn't it mm, yeah yeah something it's something to think about but um one thing that you have said and I love it is about you know exercise for for your mental health um so you're a runner you're also a triathlete you, you you'll probably dispute that but you are a triathlete you've done a triathlon <laughs> There's a big difference between like when you and as as like you are actually a very good athlete. I am a uh, I am a proud plodder, um, and I like that phrase. I'm a proud plodder, and I have I have completed a triathlon, and I came last. And I'm proud of that. <laughs> last is the best place to finish. You get the most cheers, and um, I bet you were the only person with cancer who did it as well. Um, but <laughs> why? Yeah, why? Why do you run? Why are you a proud plodder? I am so proud of my plodding. Um, honestly, because when you have cancer, you want to feel free. And I think there are very few things in life um, when you just have cancer on your shoulder um, that allows you to feel free. 
um for me uh, it's probably different for every single person for me it's like um being a bit tipsy at three o'clock in the morning on a dance floor dancing to cheesy 70s music um probably uh uh like being on a beach somewhere with yeah. my kids in the south of France uh, there's like a little island that we go to and sitting at the end of that island and then the third one is running so it's kind of you know I can't I can't live on the island and I can't really uh, be dancing till three o'clock in the morning every night so I think running for me is like the one time that I can um y- y- where I live I can go across into the common um, and I quite, I, I really like actually kind of running in the middle of nowhere on my own or running along the river or just feeling kind of... The middle at, of nowhere on, on the common. <laughs> it's not really the middle, middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere in like a very small, like, you know, 100 metre square where I think that there's no bit <laughs> Um But it's just that nice feeling, isn't it, of kind of just grabbed freedom, um, you know, contextualised freedom anyway. And when you talk, like you have your your surgery or your radiotherapy and, you know, you get, I remember listening to you on a pod once and you got to a 5k PB or pretty close and then you had an operation and went, how how do you go, so you set yourself those targets, but how do you go about like practically building back up and how, how do you deal with that frustration when all of a sudden you're not, you know, you're now doing 5k in an hour compared to 35 minutes or whatever. So, so for me, it, um, it's exactly that and it's been that for four years in that it's 10 steps forward 100 steps back start again start again Mm. start again um and I suspect um the podcast you were listening to uh, was one example and then I've just had to do it all again so I just um in um November had a thoracic resection so as a result of that both my lungs were collapsed um and then I got a bit of an infection so as is always the case because I've had a lot of lung operations it just you know takes forever to to rebuild so um I and the the day before I had this operation I was actually in quite a fit place I say fit like so to give people an idea like I I'm somebody I'm not a natural runner um so I used to be a national gymnast actually so I grew up so sport was always my life um, I was I was sports captain at school. Um, I was I was always sporty. So I think a lot of people go, oh, "Did you take up sport when you got cancer?" Like, no. I, I need to put my hands up and say I was I used to train twenty hours a week when I was eleven um, as a national gymnast. So I do have like a background in sport. Um, however, then like kids and marriage and everything kind of gets in the way. But I was still somebody that went to the gym all the time. Um, but. Yeah, in terms of in terms of like this, in terms of my running specifically, I would say I definitely um, like have taken up running much more since I got cancer. But I'm somebody that uh, like since I got cancer, I've always wanted to get below 30 minutes in a 5k. Um, And I would normally like when I first started run walking a 5k, it would be about 40 to 45 minutes. And I know it's not about times, but I think it's... um, as any runner or somebody exercising it's understanding again and this is a mindset thing what is it that drives you Mm -hmm. and there's some people that say don't worry about the time um go for the distance but I've worked out for me that it's both the time and the distance and actually I find it um not motivating when I don't look at the clock which I appreciate um might feel really um kind of (laughs) (laughs) like a demotivator but it's not actually for me personally it's a massive motivator and um so I'm somebody who kind of when I first started it would take me about 40 minutes and I would run and I would walk um and very rarely would I be able to run the whole 5k um and then over the last four years I've had a lung resection four lung ablations and then numerous operations that's meant that I've had like um kind of drains every like three to six months in my lungs and they've just been collapsed and so the last so obviously my lungs and they're not bad to be honest with you then they're not great but they're not bad so I look at exercise as a way that actually it's almost part of my medicine because as you will know anybody who doesn't have perfect lungs one of the only ways that you can improve your lung capacity is actually through exercise 
um, and um, I listen very carefully to my surgeon and like the um, thoracic team that look after me who kind of uh, after my recent operation they had me back on a bike two days later um, that's amazing this is an exercise bike and people I found this like really weird because people um on uh Instagram were kind of almost not shouting at me but kind of being like why are you showing off about this a I was crying as I was doing it but I was showing a how hard it is but I was always always under the care of a um of a uh phys- a thoracic physio like yeah yeah, is it a thoracic physio? Um, who, and what, I don't think that people truly, well, I'm not saying everybody. Um, I was getting really nice messages from people who work in that field saying, oh my God, that's brilliant. Like I'm there with patients in the hospital, getting them on a bike. And people who work in that field, like that's what they know is really good. But then everybody else is like, why are you doing that? You should be like resting. And I'm like, no, I'm doing it because I don't want to get an infection and I want to be able to walk again. Um, and it's that is that changing that that thing anyway but the day before so I've gone a bit off piece but the day before I went in for that operation I I, I went under 30 minutes people yeah, were so, amazing I know I was, first okay, time ever first time ever so it's 29.52 or something like and was that. It, was that a little bit of you putting two fingers up to everything that was going on yes but I also knew that the next day I wouldn't be able to walk to the end of the bed or even stand up yeah and so I knew that if I didn't do it then and I wasn't I was quite fit because I just uh, ran like the marathon and I knew that if I didn't do it then I wouldn't be able to do it for for a while and yeah. so you know when you're kind of like right it's, it's now or not for another six months <laughs> and um so it's really, really proud of doing it. But then since then, I've had to kind of like basically start again. So um, there's some videos on my on my Instagram where, um, you know, I was so breathless that I couldn't get to the end of the bed. Yeah, and corridor and you just I literally set myself goals and it's, it's all goal orientated. So again, it's all um, it's like and it, it's tiny, tiny things. So it's 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 saying I'm going to do uh, five minutes today. I'm going to do 10 minutes. And the Peloton actually for me was quite a, quite a big part of that. The exercise bike. It, thing. Yeah. Cause I had to, the exercise bike, cause I had to mix it up. And for me, I now get on and I'll do like a half an hour cycle, but I have to remember, it shows how far I've come because I have to remember that three months ago I couldn't cycle for more than five minutes and so it's actually allowing me that sense of achievement to remember how far I've come because sometimes you can just feel like oh I haven't made any progress and actually it's kind of it's remembering that so it's okay so I'm back up to about 35 minutes running now um that's pretty good Deborah. yeah but I've really struggled because of the cold so one of the biggest problems is like cold air dodgy lungs with the lungs do you feel like exercise does exercise give you a sense of control when everything else is like control is take it your cancer takes away so much control yeah absolutely um it gives me um a little bit of control but then somebody said oh are you obsessed with it and I was like no no it's not like that it's just that I know in order to function during my day um because I'm always asked, how do you get through the day? Like, if you don't think you have got tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, but the reality is that then you build in these elements of control, which is mindset. So for me, my control is things like um, exercise and getting dressed. <laughs> even, mm-hmm. even if it's getting dressed into sportswear, it's still getting dressed. Um, going outside. anyone who doesn't know you though it's important to say at this point that you are someone who likes looking amazing and amazing clothes and amazing hair and amazing makeup so getting dressed <laughs> you is not generally just throwing on some pajamas not always although you know I love a good pair of pajamas <laughs> you, you realize like you realize like the impact that just like having a shower and putting on makeup like can have and if you if you don't know how to get through your day 
then actually the best thing to do is to do those kind of things. So you you say, okay, fine, I don't have to get through the day, but maybe I could do exercise and then I could get dressed um, and then I could make myself some lunch. And actually, before you know it, you've got through your day that you didn't think you could get through. Do you know, I will, um, yeah, I will never forget as a registrar seeing a, a very young lady who'd um, just been told, my boss had just told her that she'd got... Um, an incurable sarcoma and she was in her 20s and she said to me can can you come back when my husband's here and talk to him um so I went back an hour later and a friend had done her hair like this incredible like curled it she'd put makeup on she just looks amazing and she just said I just I just needed to feel like me and that was her way of getting herself back having been told in her 20s that she had this horrible cancer I'll never, never, ever forget it. I, I, um, I relate to that. Sorry, no, go on. No, no, carry on. I, you saying, I relate to that because whenever I get bad news or whenever I just generally get my scan results, like if you met me in the corridor just straight afterwards, you wouldn't know what kind of results I'd had. Um, and it's because I have almost like a, like I have a cry. <laughs> then I, then I kind of like, then I, uh, like kind of get over it and the first thing I do is I kind of go oh, I must look like a mess so I get up in front of my oncologist look in the mirror <laughs> and then get out my mascara <laughs> <laughs> but we're all we all have our own coping strategies don't we and and I guess there is there is no right or wrong way to deal with emotions whatever they are whether they're related to cancer or you know or to anything else that's that's going on um, Deborah, you do. I, I'm very aware. We've already gone over time. Um, we both talk far too much. <laughs> I, I could talk for hours. Um, you've done. You've done so much since. I mean, I'm sure you did so much before I ever heard about you. But over the last few years, what what are you most proud of in in what you've done since you were diagnosed? So for me, it's probably the stuff. Um, that is education related so it's like probably obviously the podcast I'm really proud of but it's anything that I feel is actually making a difference in terms of either it's changing policy or or educating other people to know a not to be so scared or you're in it together um or ultimately actually helping people to just um kind of come forward like I kind of say that um you know cancer is not fun but prevention can be right like I think we always assume that cancer prevention has to be quite somber I'm not saying cancer should be somber it shouldn't be somber at all but it is serious and I'm not going to make a joke of cancer but sometimes you have sometimes to be honest with you you have to laugh because otherwise you're just going to cry but there is there is that side to it but ultimately the whole thing is like actually we should we should just get to prevention if, if we can make prevention fun um because you know we should all know our bodies we should all go to our gp and get checked then we actually don't need to deal with the like the crappiness of cancer we can just like get, get it get it early and i i get that's kind of in the ultimate dream world but actually we know we can prevent a lot of cancers if we catch them early right um increasing awareness of symptoms and um pushing people towards going and seeing their doctor if they've got symptoms yeah the best the best messages that I get is when somebody says oh I went to my GP because I saw you on TV or I read something um and I've been diagnosed well it's not good I don't like this message but I've been diagnosed with cancer but we didn't report it early um and I have actually met a few people who um I think it was on the rain that they then supported me and hooked me up with somebody oh, wow. whose life is now just carrying on as normal yeah. because they watched the program they saw they had some symptoms um and it was like caught a stage one or stage two that's amazing amazing so in a in a way that's probably the stuff that I'm most proud of but some days I'm just proud to get out of bed <laughs> <laughs> oh, what um so you know Joe Bloggs goes to the doctor tomorrow and they're told that they've got cancer what three and, and they've got advanced cancer so it's probably not curable what three things or however many things what would you tell them um always have hope because I am living 
in a future because of drugs that weren't developed when I was diagnosed. So I get to see a tomorrow I didn't think that was going to happen. And I'm going to uh, ride on the wings of science into another future that I don't know what's going to happen. So I think it's like the idea of just one day at a time and don't assume the worst um, because you know you can predict it and you can ask the questions I've asked the questions but you know a do you actually want to know the answer because you might be searching for something that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. I can't I have googled am I going to live (laughs) 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 and 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 Google doesn't tell me about you know I have to to do and and some sometimes actually the evidence isn't there right the evidence will tell you that you might not be around. So sometimes you have to have faith that maybe you will be the evidence that says that you will be. Gosh, yeah. I mean, and stats are just stats. They don't tell anyone what is going to happen to them, do they? No. And I think you have to trust in your team, right? And you have to trust in your team that, um, and if you don't like your team, then you find a new one. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's, that's a good, you know, you need to find a team that you trust because you need somebody to back you. Um, like, and the best thing that my oncologist, um, who, you, who you, you know, um, said to me at the beginning when we knew it was stage four, he said, I promise that I'll throw the kitchen sink at this and then some. And that's kind of what you want in terms of an attitude. Like, you want to know that there's not a stone unturned um, left. And if I die, I want to know that there's not something out there that could have saved me um and and also be a bit bold and be a bit ballsy and just say well can I try this and would this work for me and would it not um because actually sometimes if you don't ask you might not get uh do you know that is the one thing that I would say as an oncologist is firstly if something doesn't happen that you're expecting it to happen in the NHS always question it because nine times out of ten it's because there's been a mistake in some bureaucratic power like drain somewhere somewhere. always question it um and never be scared to ask because so often you'll have heard about something that that we won't have done um anyway i'll let you it's friday night um (laughs) friday yeah oh my god we should have done this with a glass of wine it might have gone 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 on even with the cancer and wine (laughs) oh no a glass of wine is good for mental health i think i i'm a a strong advocate um i'll I'll take that to heart like literally uh, (laughs) and um i can't believe it's friday night it's friday and and um yeah got some rugby on in a minute well soon we can we're recording this three days before we can have six people outside so how exciting is that the worst worst thing is is that actually no luckily next week the weather should be good but um I don't think I don't think anybody understands what what it's like to be a patient on some platinum-based drug where you can only have a social life outside during winter because basically it just doesn't happen without spasms so you can get really bad neuropathy for anyone who doesn't get yeah I can imagine (laughs) so so I haven't you know I can't I can't wait to actually have some nice weather um so yeah well let's bring on bring on a heat wave um socializing and yeah thank you so much um well, I definitely think that Deborah and I could have chatted all night and I dread to think where we would have got to had we um, had that glass of wine we were talking about. Um, there's so much to take from this episode. Um, I think thinking about psychology and mindset is really interesting um, and I can't wait to see Deborah's book when it's out, but um, I, I, I do think there is perhaps a gap in the the market, as it were, for um psychological support for for people going through cancer um if you haven't done already i would really recommend that you do check out the yumi and the big c podcast um it really is an incredible resource um and they've covered everything that you could possibly imagine um about living with cancer um steve bland who is one of the co-presenters um has been doing a huge amount of work behind the scenes helping us um so massive thank you to steve um for your support um 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, please do give us a like, a review. Apparently, this is what podcasts are asked to do. Um, tell people about us. Um, but most importantly, we really want good feedback and bad feedback. Um, this is a work in progress. Um, we'd love suggestions for guests, ideas for topics. Um, please let us know what you think. Um, take care, keep moving, and we'll see you soon. Bye.